do I charge a car? Can I charge it in the rain? How far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is V2G possible? What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV? Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yep. Fantastic. Uh, can go through. Seem to be having some bad audio, at least from my side. So I just wanted to thank all of you for making this uh, strange recording happen, but I think this is what it's going to be like for, for the next few weeks, in fact. Sorry? We're just going to try to get the recording on as many different devices as possible, just to make sure we have the best sound possible. So what I'm going to do right now is just do a loud clap. Okay, so from now on, we all should be synced. And uh, please feel free to, Aaron, yeah, take the lead. And have a good show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue, a podcast about the electric mobility revolution and new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, communications director currently on paternity leave but still podcasting at electric vehicle charging services provider Greenway, which operates in Slovakia and Poland. A lot has changed in the world since our January and February episodes. Those episodes were about the trends to watch in the electric vehicle charging infrastructure industry in 2020. We gathered leading professionals from across the industry to pick their brains on the topic and get their insights. And now, in the last month, the COVID-19 pandemic has struck, upending almost everything. A lot of what we said in those two trends episodes are still valid. It just may take a while longer to realize some of them. All over the world, we'll have a lot of healing and rebuilding to do. But before we get too far into the episode, we're also joined on the line by co-host and my boss from Greenway, Peter Badik. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Hi. Hey, Peter. Oh, great to hear you, but sad not to be recording in the same room as you, like we usually do. Where are you recording from right now? Uh, actually, from the office. I'm the lucky guy because uh, my office is only a five-minute walking distance from my flat, so I'm going to the office every day. And uh, there are still a few people coming in, only a few, maybe four people maximum, five people in, in the office, where usually we have a 30 people. We mostly use a online conferencing, even if we sit next to in next rooms. And we are wearing a mask, actually. Right. I mean, I'm wearing a mask every time I walk out of my apartment door. It's a good way to balance, I mean, the need for some distancing, but also the ability to keep on going a bit in the midst of all this anyway. Well, I'm sitting in my apartment, also in Slovakia, not wearing a mask because I'm at home, so that's nice. We've converted this small room into an office slash workspace, so it may not have the best audio quality. You may hear people in my inner courtyard screaming at some point, but uh, it's the best we have under the circumstances. So hopefully it will be good enough for you listeners to actually follow through on the podcast. So this is what social distancing is gonna sound like. Uh, it'll certainly affect the audio quality. We're not in the professional recording studio like usual, but hey, I mean, it's the content that counts, right, Peter? Yeah, sure, that's for sure. All right, very good. So look, I know we're pretty early into this pandemic and I mean, human cost is obviously what's first and foremost on mind and whatever the effects and fallout are gonna be, we are still very unclear and it's still really evolving. But, you know, I know you and I have talked about this before. We don't really wanna speculate about the future too, too much. Um, on what's needed. But let's talk about the facts and what we've seen so far, you know, as it pertains to the EV charging and energy industries. Uh, you know, people have been told to stay at home in many countries around the world. And in Slovakia, where we are, you know, they've been on voluntary house arrest, sort of, for almost four full weeks now. International borders have been resurrected, so we're not seeing a lot of international travel and roaming when it comes to EV charging. What have you seen as the consequences for the industry, I mean, even in just the last month? 
Well, there are some immediate consequences, as we can see, obviously, on the data. We can see the number of charging sessions dropped to maybe 20% of what was before the crisis, which is pretty obvious because people are just sitting at home. And, uh, but some of them are commuting, so some of them are using public charging infrastructure. Second consequence is the drop in interest of discussions about the uh, deployment of a charging infrastructure from our partners, which is pretty obvious. People are now reconsidering their investment plans. Uh, but on the other side, there are still some, some inquiries. And I think the positive thing is that it's not complete lockdown in the terms that people are not doing anything, but they are thinking forward. But it's fair to say that the demand for such uh, things are now uh, decreasing. And yeah, we need to react. We need to keep our infrastructure up and running. And uh, we have some locations which are closed now uh, because of the, normally they are open 24-7, but uh, there are some shopping malls are simply closed and it's not possible to access the charger. Which comes to interesting idea or interesting thing, which we were not uh, thinking before, and that's the, how the infrastructure could be a critical for some people and how to keep them up and running, even in a, a, such a stressful situation like this one. You know, you know very well that all the governments and everybody are trying to do their best not to close, for example, the gas stations because people need, in, even in such a situation, needs to move. And there are some vehicles which are operated by, let's say, uh, emergency services, security and all these things. So, so the ability to provide the energy into either gasoline cars or electric cars in the future is quite crucial, even in such a time like we are living now, which maybe defines some of the charging infrastructure as a critical infrastructure, which are special requirements for the operators to run it under all circumstances, almost all circumstances. It is a big advantage of charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. It's not so concentrated as a gasoline station. You can charge your vehicle in your garage. You can charge your vehicle on many locations. So this is definitely helping to keep the system safe because there is options. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess this is something that's you know probably been thought of before already. I mean, we've certainly had some, I guess, at least brief conversations about how it's critical for some people. But this crisis is really showing that maybe more than any other time since this industry has really started, I guess. Yeah, indeed. And I just want to say that we probably will have to think about it and put this topic as well into regulation and, and our setup of our systems and other things. Yeah, this is really sort of forcing new, new ways of looking at things and new ways of thinking. But I guess this is a positive outcome of realizing how important the EV charging infrastructure is. And I mean, really, obviously, when there's many more electric vehicles on the roads, then the infrastructure will be that much more critical for that many more people and that many more you know, services and uses. So good to be thinking about it now already when there's you know, kind of a relatively small number of vehicles still on the roads. So we see that another consequence of the pandemic is a lot of the auto manufacturers have shut down their production facilities altogether. I mean, they're doing it for, they're saying a number of reasons, obviously the health and safety of the workers in those factories. They're doing it because of supply chains have been disrupted. They're not able to get the parts or, and they're also doing it because demand, right? As the economy is collapsing and people are not earning or spending, they're obviously not thinking about buying cars and OEMs are saying not electric vehicles. So, you know, we see here in Slovakia that all the major plants have stopped production. We know that that's happening in Spain and, you know, the electric vehicle production lines are being hit as much as the combustion engine ones. So, you know, recently the automotive lobbying group has put out a statement on behalf of some of their members. You know, I guess it's important to say not all of the members have agreed with this, saying that the CO2 emissions penalties 
should be delayed because they don't think they're going to be able to sell enough electric vehicles in order to meet those targets for 2021. What do you think about that? Well, I think in this, we are in very critical debate. And uh, actually, my view is a completely opposite. So this current crisis uh, should not be in any circumstances used for lowering down our standard or lowering our expectation regarding the fines towards climate change. And the, all this regulation around the uh, emission standards for the car manufacturers was extremely important part of this whole uh, policy setup and uh, debate about uh, climate change. I do understand the immediate complications and other things. On the other side, if I look on this crisis from a really broader perspective, it's basically something which we could expect. There was a scientist who say it will happen, it will come. We just didn't listen to them. And I think that's the very similar way I think uh, we are dealing with the uh, climate change. There are scientists saying, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to be a problem. We can even observe it already now, but maybe the impact is not so dramatic and quick as a kind of pandemic but they are there that we can really have studies around it so i think it'd be very unlucky if we don't take lesson from this and uh, we are not going to listen to scientists and saying us that we are going to have a huge problem with the climate change so uh, actually outcome of this crisis needs to be that we are listening to the scientists and since we know about the climate change we should equip ourselves to fight it and to prevent it yeah I agree completely. I mean, you know, obviously there's immediate short-term concerns, but certainly the climate change and the, you know, kind of the energy transition still needs to happen, you know, even during this period and when it's over. And, you know, it's important to say that three of the uh, major OEMs have also disagreed with the statement by the auto lobby, Daimler, Volkswagen, and BMW, all saying that they can meet these standards still based on 2021 sales and going forward. It seems like this fight is just beginning, and uh, it'll certainly be one that's interesting to watch in the weeks ahead. And I guess the other thing is, is all of this talk about a, let's say, a green stimulus. I mean, the, in order for there to be a green stimulus, there need to be green modes of transportation available. And, you know, that's also what we're here to talk about today. Peter, yesterday you and I attended a sort of online conference put on by EVbox Revolution, and the CEO, uh, Christo Verge, made a similar point about how life isn't standing still right now, even though it may feel that way. Rather, the world is still turning, even though many of us are in you know, social or physical distancing and uh, staying home. And there's going to be a lot more that we need to do in order to make up for the lost time. I think that brings us to the, that's the point you just made and also brings us to our main discussion for today. It's something we've wanted to talk about for a long time, I guess for a few months, really. So in January 2020, a report came out called Recharge EU, and it's all about the needs for electric vehicle charging deployment in Europe throughout the 2020s through 2030. It's a fantastic report, and we're really pleased to have the lead author of this report calling in Lucien Matteau from Transport Environment. Great. Does anyone hear Lucien? Hello, Lucien. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Peter. I'm recording on my phone now, so I have a... Uh... I downloaded an app and now it's now it's currently recording for now 20 seconds already. <laughs> Very good. Um, Lucien, where are you calling in from? So I'm calling from my home in Brussels. We're asked to, to stay at home. Huh? So, you know, things are a bit strange. I mean, strange times. We've never experienced this before and we all have to, to adapt. 
But uh, honestly, I can't complain. I can continue to work from home and I don't have any babies or young kids to look after while I'm, while I'm working. So, so all fine. Super. Glad to hear you're healthy and well. So this report that you put out, I guess, three months ago now, but in some ways still, you know, even more relevant than before, given how much to do to make up for the lost time of um, really deploying the EV fleet. It's great the amount of research you all did, pulling in data from multiple different sources. So what purpose did you want this report to have when you put it out originally? And, you know, how has the landscape changed since Corona took over the agenda? Basically, this report that we did, we called it Recharge EU. It lays down TNE's vision for infrastructure rollout and funding for the next decade. And of course, the goal is to advise policymakers on the role of charging infrastructure in the Green Deal, but also to inform, let's say, the wider public and e-mobility spheres uh, by bringing new research, new evidence and new ideas. I mean, that's a bit for the background of the report. And now considering the, the current situation, the landscape has effectively changed a lot in the last weeks. Uh, so at Transport Environment, we're currently focusing our efforts to protect the Green Deal, as well as the EU car CO2 targets that have been under attack from car makers, as you pointed out, Aaron, just before. So I mean, currently, of course, uh, health, uh, security, uh, Safety and job security is the primary concern right now, but rescue plans uh, should go hand in hand with long-term climate objectives, including an acceleration of the transition to zero emission mobility. And maybe an example that I think is pretty good here is in 2009, after the economic crisis, Obama pumped large money into General Motors and Fiat Chrysler, uh, but he also imposed uh, very strict targets on them. So in the end, this, this served the carmakers quite well and could be a, a good example of, of what the EU could do. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, so much money was put in that they called GM government motors for for quite some uh -huh. time thereafter. It's a very timely analogy. So diving into the report then a little bit more, Lucien, you all did an exhaustive research on how charging infrastructure is currently accounted for throughout Europe. And what you found was that it's very fragmented throughout Europe. It's not standardized at all. And there's no universal way to account for things like whether a charger is AC or DC, number of plugs that can account for simultaneous charging on one charger, things like that. And you propose an approach to address this. Tell us about that, please. Yes, absolutely, Aaron. That's, uh, that's spot on. There's, there's currently no harmonious way of counting the supply of public charging uh, infrastructure. I mean, sometimes semi-public chargers are not counted. Sometimes they are. Uh, well, on the other hand, sometimes chargers are double counted, where you have like two or three different plugs uh, available on the same charger, but they cannot be used at the same time. But there's another problem, which is uh, there's also no method to compare the supply of public charging infrastructure between countries. Some focus much more on, on slow charging, for example, like in the Netherlands, and others focus a lot more on fast charging, like in the UK. So, I mean, currently all public chargers are counted as one. This means that a slow charger on a lamppost would be counted the same way as a fast or ultra-fast charger along the highway. So in this report, uh, TNE recommends to use uh, a weighted counting system to reflect the number of cars that can be charged by a charger every day. So in practice, a single-phase AC charger would be counted as one, whereas a, a tri-phase AC charger could be counted as Two, a DC charger could be counted as five, and an ultra-fast charger as uh, ten. 
So it's key that these, these counting methods are also tied with quality requirements on the chargers, with, for example, high up requirements, uh, but also transparent and fair prices, credit card payment. And finally, this counting method could also allow to account for uh, semi-public chargers by weighting their contribution based on the availability of the charger. So I can certainly see the value of, you know, making distinctions between AC, DC, power levels, you know, simultaneous charging abilities and things like that. But why would binding targets be something that's important? Why not let countries be able to decide for themselves and what types of what kinds? Are you open to that? Well, with the with this flexible methodology, they are able to choose their, their strategy to supply charging infrastructure. But what we see currently under the current EU framework is that without a harmonized framework, member states roll out charging infrastructure in a very fragmented way uh, and there is no pan-European harmonized uh, strategy. The cornerstone of a harmonized strategy should also be a harmonized way to count the chargers, but also some quality requirements on these, these chargers. This will allow the market to be much more effective as it grows. Mm. So, Peter, I mean, how do you see it? From our perspective of a professional charging point operator, we are fully supporting this uh, idea because we see that, first of all, the quality of the infrastructure differ in different countries and we need to have uh, some common measure how to measure the rollout of charging infrastructures as well important for the car manufacturers when they demand uh, the country to be ready for rollout of electric vehicles so they can compare which country is, is ready and which which is not. Uh, another thing is how to set up the uh, financial mechanism and for that you need as well someone more or less standardized measure and uh, when it comes to the quality I cannot agree more. I think this is uh, extremely important that we define a certain standard quality for uh, especially for a public charging infrastructure. It comes with the availability it uh, comes with the connectivity, communication of, with the charger. We need to do the infrastructure which is a future-proof. You know, obviously we could have a whole debate about how the pan-European charging network has been deployed, how it's come to this point so far, but I think that can be a topic for another discussion. But so looking forward, if there is a harmonized counting system and there is, let's say, really good data on what types and the quality and the location and the energy impact of chargers in different countries throughout Europe. And so all that data is available and being used by policymakers to set future investment decisions. What criteria or how should they decide what criteria to apply for the next round of chargers? Like where should chargers be deployed in the future? So, I mean, need chargers pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Music to Peter's ears. <laughs> Uh, there's, but there's, of course, areas where we need to focus our efforts in the rollout of uh, charging infrastructure. Once you have a nationwide objective or target, the question is, of course, where do you put the chargers? So, I mean, first of all, there should be a strong focus on uh, urban areas, of course. This is where a majority of Europeans live, but also where there will be a majority of the charging requirements. So Tini has identified, let's say, three key uh, investment priorities for tomorrow's EV drivers to recharge their cars. The steel priorities are buildings, fast charging in the rural areas and the electricity grid in urban areas. So first of all, with buildings, uh, we believe that a large program to cable buildings and make them EV ready is key as we move forward uh, in the mass adoption of electric cars. 
This will allow home charging at low costs. The second uh, priority that we've identified is for the rollout of fast and ultra-fast charging uh, to ensure a really comprehensive coverage of the EU road network. So it's really important that all EV drivers can be confident they can charge their car uh, on the way if they want to visit a friend or family at the other end of the country. So currently there's still some gaps in rural areas, but also in Southern Europe, as well as Central and Eastern Europe. Although Greenway has done a really great job in Slovakia and now in Poland. <laughs> and, and thirdly, about the electricity grid in urban areas. So we really need to prepare the distribution grid for uh, tomorrow's electric cars. Here it's important to focus on grid reinforcement for the creation of multi-user charging hubs in cities. So these hubs can offer a variety of charging services from slow charging to fast and ultra-fast charging to address the different needs in cities. Once the grid is prepared, cities can start uh, opening tenders for the installation and the operation of these stations. That all sounds good to me. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this topic probably for a few hours, um, but I think we should limit the discussion there now and move on to something else that was really the topic of this report in general and is also really going to be on policymakers' agenda, and that is the topic of the Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive. Lucien, this was a huge topic of the report, so why don't you uh, introduce it, please? So the Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, or AFID, as we call it in Brussels, is the, the EU regulatory framework for uh, public charging and refueling infrastructure deployments. So the current uh, framework dates back to 2014. And at that time, EU policy makers and EU leaders didn't have much information to, to set up the right uh, level of ambition. They only had, let's say, a few pioneer EV models available on the market. So as you know, Aaron, the EV market today is really in a different league. We expect from 5 to 7% EV uh, sales this year, and this will grow to about 20% in 2025, 40% or more in, in 2030. So we've really entered the tipping point for EVs. And this is important because the current directive is not fit for purpose anymore. And this is also why the European Commission, as part of the European Green Deal, will be revising the framework, which is something that we fully support. And importantly, as it is revised, so it should be aligned with the expected surge of electric cars, of course, but also with a comprehensive EU strategy to decarbonize the transport sector to zero emissions. The current version of the directive only has voluntary targets for member states, what is appropriate number of charging points by 2020. Uh, and on top of this, the directive also includes uh, targets for natural gas refueling infrastructure. So that's CNG vehicles and LNG trucks. So as a consequence, countries have focused their efforts on uh, different technologies and different levels of ambition for e-mobility. And this led to a market that is rather fragmented today. So we believe that this uh, AFI directive should really become a regulation. So, Lucien, I mean, can you explain, please, the you know, Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive? On one hand, it seems, I mean, you mentioned it covers gas as well. So it covers a lot of topics and a lot of, a lot of areas. But you really made a particular focus here on 
how it impacts the, the built environment and say wiring and cabling of buildings. Can you speak quickly about how does this AFID touch upon building and construction related topics? How can it include those topics? So currently the, uh, the AFID only focuses on public charging. It doesn't include any charging in buildings. But this is one of our key recommendations is that we ask for the scope of the AFID to be broadened to several other applications. First of all, we want the scope to be extended to commercial properties, for example, shopping malls, uh, supermarkets, any leisure or sport facility uh, that all have uh, parking facilities. These also include, for example, petrol stations. And there are very convenient places where many drivers park their car for some time. Uh, so here we suggest that some targets should be placed on these medium and large commercial properties for uh, the deployment of charging on their parking lots. Let's see, is that possible? Can the like European Commission just fiat to make the AFID then cover private property? So this is one of the reasons we want the directive to be turned into a regulation. So what is the key difference is that a directive puts requirements on member states to implement and then member states have some liberty on how they do so. On the other hand, a regulation really addresses directly the market. So for example, you, you could think about the regulation, current regulation on car CO2. This regulation sets targets on the sales of private companies, so private actors. In a similar way, we could imagine that this new AFI regulation would uh, set targets on commercial properties. We think it's a great way also to alleviate much of the need of every driver to have a dedicated charging spot uh, in urban areas because they already spend a lot of time parked uh, at these locations. Mm -hmm. And secondly, looking at buildings, we see there's uh, also a lot of potential. On that, there's no question. Huge potential, mm -hmm. probably the greatest potential. I mean, especially when you think about workplace charging for people who live in apartment blocks. Absolutely. Uh, and. The current, uh, let's say, EU framework that regulates this is called the EPBD, so Energy Performance of Building, and was agreed some time ago, and we believe it's really a missed opportunity in terms of what we need for charging infrastructure in residential and workplace buildings. So we believe this discussion and the revision of the AFID is also a good opportunity to bring back the discussion on what we need in buildings. Here we suggest that this is really combined with our European-wide program to cable the buildings uh, because this is much more cost-effective and would allow uh, Europeans to also have the, the right to plug to ensure that every AV driver can go through the request process for the installation of a charger within uh, three months before the charger is effectively installed. I think that's a good place to leave this discussion, gentlemen. Yeah. Lucy and yeah. calling in from Brussels, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. We certainly believe that the EV revolution will continue, though we may need to wind down some predictions a little bit, and charging infrastructure is going to be crucially important to the energy transition. And it's really worth mentioning, too, that even though this discussion has been very much focused on charging infrastructure for vehicles, that charging infrastructure has a lot of other roles to play, as we've mentioned on this podcast before, like to support and buffer the energy grid. So Greenway will be active players in this discussion, clearly Transport and Environment and its members will as well, following the debate and the events. And we're going to continue following it as we ride, at least virtually, for a little while down the Electric Avenue. 
So that was our show today. And thanks everyone for listening. We hope you're staying safe, healthy, and sane wherever you're hunkered down. Personally, one way I'm killing the time is I'm exploring new podcasts. And if you are as well, and you know other people who are looking for a new podcast to add to their playlist, consider sharing this one. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Huge thank you to Lucian for calling in, and thank you, Peter. You still there? Yes, I am. Sir, thank you very much for your remote co-hosting skills. Even though we're not in the same room, uh, I think we did okay. And also, huge thanks to our producer, Katarina Urban-Richterova, who's helping us navigate this remote audio recording situation and will really hone her skills and show us her expertise when she edits this all together. We'll be back in a few weeks to bring you some more developments, updates, and discussions on the world of electric vehicle charging infrastructure and energy. This is Aaron Fishbone, wishing you many happy and safe electric kilometers once we can freely resume moving again. Take care. Yeah, so, can you hear me? Hopefully it's recorded on your side, yeah. Okay, ready? One, two, three.